So that I know whenever I feel good, that also is a time where it's easy to let habit slip, whether that's a meditation habit or a prayer habit, whatever your faith is. But that's when I know I need to keep those practices going. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. And in a uh, fun and joking way, we'll say top of the morning to you uh, because of my guest that's joining me today, uh, Richard Wasson. We have met through Clubhouse, which is an interesting new platform that's out there, which is a great place uh, to find community and connection. And um, and we've connected there. So, um, and Richard is coming to us from across the pond, as we would say here. So um, he is a wonderful gentleman who I've been uh, privileged to connect with. Um, he he really talks about that he was a so-called successful traveler in the world and life and had a glamorous career and then did lose that all um, as alcohol really played a major part in his life and really took over. Um, and uh, we celebrate today that he's uh, more than two years sober and feels like his life is richer than ever. So thank you, Richard, for joining me today. It's a, it's a pleasure of mine. Well, it's, it's a real pleasure to be here. I really connected with you on Clubhouse, what you said, and yeah, it's been great to chat previously and now I'm here. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we start with the story. And um, again, as it many times it happens, if it's, you know, alcohol or food or lack of food or different vices and things like that, uh, sometimes we're going along well in life, but things take over and derail us and things like that. So, and I know that you had quite a life of travel in the Coast Guard and things like that. So I'd love to have you start with your story and um, not all the dirty details as we say, but just again, kind of that story of life and how your addictions kind of took over, but then how you've gotten to where you're at today. Yeah, sure. Uh, no problem at all. So yeah, I, I won't give like a full chronological because I've, I'm sure that'd be pretty boring for people. But <laughs> yeah, just to touch on my childhood, I suppose a little bit, you know, it's amazing when you look back how the dots all connect up, you know, but at the time you, you don't have any clue what's going on. So I, I grew up in a, a, a very, very alcoholic world, let's say, in every regard, socially, alcohol was always present. My father was big into uh, yachting and rugby and obviously alcohol is a big place to play in those kind of activities. And yes, my first memories are like being in a bar and just a sea of legs. You know, I was probably, you know, three or four or five, I'm guessing at the time. And just a sea of legs, you know, obviously in a clubhouse or whatever, wherever it was. And uh, yeah, just just that, you know, so I grew up with that. And then as I got a bit older towards, I suppose, 10, 11, 12, then becoming fascinated with this world. Like, what's it about? And what is this stuff? And why do the people do these things that I witnessed too far too young? I actually remember my father's 40th birthday party really, really well. Um, because of the debauchery and the drunkenness that I witnessed, I was 10 years old and I shouldn't have witnessed that, but I, I'll never, ever forget that. And uh, then I suppose 14, uh, and I'll, I'll break up the timeline a bit at, the, at that point. At 14, I can remember, and I could take you, and it's I know it's still there, I could take you to the very bar. So this is nearly 30 years ago now. And I could even take you to the very table within that bar and the very chair at that table within the bar where I sat and I got drunk for the first time. And the reason that I can remember that so well, that very place, is because it was like something that I could only describe as a spiritual experience. I knew in that moment that my life had changed forever. I had a feeling that I'd never felt before. I felt euphoric. I felt confident. I felt the world had just opened up to me. And 
from that point on, um, I would say until, well, I suppose really until two years ago, let's say, alcohol was front and center of my life, even during periods of sobriety, which I did establish, you know, over, over the years when I did go off it for sort of two, three months, even then it was still front and center, you know, but particularly my teenage years, my twenties, if I wasn't drunk, I was thinking about the next time that I would be getting drunk from that spiritual uh, kind of experience when I was 14 years old. Of course, it wasn't a spiritual experience at all. I know that now, but that's what it felt like. That's the only way to kind of describe it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, spiritual, not in the, <laughs> not in a good way, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not the things that we're hoping for, but, you know, we have talked so many times in this podcast that, I mean, patterns repeat themselves. So in no fault of, of your own, you saw patterns, you saw things that were around you. And, you know, our children often don't know anything different, right? And yeah. so then they just do what they see in front of us. And it's not always, sometimes it's good. And it's not, many times it's not, you know, yeah. so. And actually, I, I ended up then, I suppose, it's only looking back, connecting the dots again, that I can see this, I wasn't even aware of it at the time. But that was a way for me to create a bond with my father, because as I got to 17, 18, and where, where we are here, it's perfectly acceptable to drink at that age. You know, obviously, it's legal at 18, 17, it's perfectly acceptable if you're at a family wedding, a family party. If you're 17, you'll be drinking, you know, even though you're just under the age. For me, I started drinking with my father probably 17, 18. And uh, that was a way for us to bond. And we did, you know, we did. We drank a lot together. We bonded a lot together. But was it really bonding? It's only in recent years that I figured out, no, it wasn't really bonding at all. Mm -hmm. And we went on adventures together. I crashed a car drunk with my father in the passenger seat when we were doing a pub crawl one time. Actually, my mother's car. Um, and my mother and father were apart, divorced by that time. Um, not a serious crash, but I dinged it all the same drunk. And uh, we carried on. And we carried on drinking that night. And uh, yeah, so there we go. But I guess... Looking back as well, I, I have noticed that my father's drinking was different to mine in that, and he had often said this to me, he said this to me as soon as I was drinking with him, he said, you've got no off switch at all. And I suppose maybe in a way he was drinking with me because he knew that I was safe. He, he did have an off switch. He would have the, yes, he would get drunk, but not visibly drunk. And he would say, right, it's time to go home. Whereas you know, my trait and my friends knew this all too well very early on. I never, ever had an off switch. I did not know when to stop from the very first day that I started drinking. And it didn't matter what was happening the next day. It didn't matter if I was to be at a job the next day. It didn't matter if there was a big event the next day. It just did not matter. And I suppose fast forward, I can tell you about my sister's wedding, just as one brief example my sister's wedding was like in a, in a hotel, you know, in England. And it was kind of a weekend affair. And we met up at the hotel on the Thursday and Thursday night. And actually, myself, my father, and some of that side of the family, we didn't leave until Monday morning. We couldn't get a, a flight out on the Sunday. So we stayed, We decided, well, let's make Sunday a day of it. And we'll leave on the Monday. I did not set foot outside the hotel for those four days. And I didn't sleep at all. I didn't sleep at all for 24 hours from the morning I got up until having breakfast in the breakfast room the day after my sister's wedding. I drank the whole night in the, in the residence bar and then gone and got changed and walked straight into the breakfast room with my mother present. And obviously not in such a good, not in such a good state and embarrassing everybody, but uh, I, can, I can see humor in it now where I, you know, because I'm grateful for it all. Um, but that's a whole other thing that maybe we'll talk about where I've got to now, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that that's, um, that's the, the joy, if you will. I'm not sure that's the right word, but just being able to look back when you're, you know, you pass things to look back and see what those lessons are and to see that, because I've said it again many times that there are lessons in that mess of our life. And that's why it's so important, I believe, to tell, to tell our story, because not only does it help us recount it and see those blessings or the patterns or things like that, but it all, you know, it helps others see that, yeah. you know, as well and learn from that. 
how are things with your, I always, um, I mean, how are things with like your relationship with your, your mom and your dad? I know as I've talked with eating disorders as well as other addictions, I mean, it, those relationships can be certainly tenuous and yeah, up and down during that time. And how is, how are those things now? Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. And funny enough, you know, you mentioned it just before we came on air was, you know, there's been a major, major journey of forgiveness huge journey of forgiveness to both my mother and my father, you know, and they, they parted when I was 12 years old. And of course, connecting the dots, that had far more of an impact on me than I could ever realize at that time. My father's on his third partner now. So he's had a tar, he's lost a business. He's had a torrid life, let's say, not a very successful life, but thankfully he was successful in inverted commas, but thankfully he's in a place now almost of having uh, a bit of an awakening and he's in his early 70s now and more content than ever and we did have a talk about mistakes you know we've had very many open conversations not without the drink you know sober conversations in the last probably four to five years um particularly when you know i kind of started to to really reach out for help and not just pretend help let's say and when i really thought right i need to get this sorted out and you know they were very supportive around that time however I will say that, you know, the the drink with my father in particular, that was a fun time. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that. It really was. We had a lot of good times together. And my father, I suppose, now is in a bit of a place where he doesn't really know what to do with me, you know? Because I I don't do his favorite hobby anymore, you know, mm. and it's still and it's still his favorite hobby. And uh, you know, he would love nothing more than me to be able to come to where he lives and go to the local pub with him. He still does that regularly. In fact, his his drinking is probably more regular now, but he doesn't drink as much. Like he'll literally go to the pub, have three beers, catch up with the, the other men there and go home again. He might be there for two hours and that's, that's his kind of routine. He might do that four or five times a week. But so we're pretty happy about that as a family because his drinking has decreased dramatically. But I suppose he's gone through a period of acceptance as well that that's not who I am anymore and I can't do that. That's just, it's not that I can't do that. I can go to bars. Let's face it, I can go to a pub. I have no problem with that. I don't really want to though, you know? Mm -hmm. So he accepts it's not something that I'm interested in. Why would I be? You know, why would you be interested in that? So there's a journey there that's taking place right at this moment in time for sure that we're still sort of navigating that. Like, what do we do in our leisure time? Like, where do we go? What do we talk about? And he he will still talk about drink to me and then he'll catch himself. And, you know, because it's the programming is so mm -hmm. deep in our ancestry, let's say, our Irish ancestry. And I suppose I'll tell this one quick story about my sister who, this was really the time whenever I was um, at the probably fifth, sixth, seventh rock bottom, but it was the big rock bottom. And I was reaching out for help. I knew I had to go to a unit. I knew I had to go to rehab and I was sort of procrastinating, making the phone call. And my sister said, you know, look at this, look at this. My children, my, my niece and nephews, my sister's uh, children, I was in the same house as them. And she said, look, this is our chance, your chance to break this cycle that has been going on for who knows how many hundreds of years in our ancestry, you know? And she said, I have, she has succeeded to this day. Her kids have not been exposed to alcohol at all. Like not at all. Yes, of course, the odd glass of wine out for dinner, but not the debaucherous drunkenness at all. None of it. Luckily mm -hmm. enough, her, my sister's husband hardly drinks a drop. So therefore she has broken that cycle. They don't even know what drunkenness is. So that really got me thinking. It was like, wow, what a what a way to think about it, to actually end this cycle of hundreds of years of passing on these this programming and this habit, and let's break it. Let's try and break it. So I suppose that was, you know, you have to have the purpose around yourself, number one. You have to want it yourself, number one. And of course, I got to that stage where I didn't really care if I lived or died, but I ultimately did make the decision to, for life you know but that was a large part of the purpose as well was to think she's right it is my opportunity to break this cycle you know what use am i as a drunken uncle at a barbecue you know 
or at a future wedding or whatever, or what good am I whenever my nephew reaches 17? And the first thing that I would have been saying was, come on, Harry, let's go to the pub and keep the whole thing going, you know? So I'm pretty yeah. happy with that too, that conversation as well, if that, if any of that makes sense. Well, it does make sense. There was um, a wonderful gentleman, uh, Louis Sharp, who I interviewed. And if you haven't, anybody listening, if you haven't listened to that, it's it's quite a conversation. One of the most positive men that I've ever met in my life. And his story of the past is just, it's awful. And the abuse, and he chose, he said that very same thing that he chose to, because of the abuse that he received as a child from his parents, he chose to not have children because he did not want that pattern to continue on and that. Um, and he felt like that's, he had a choice to break that cycle. Now he was blessed with um, children from another, you know, as he married someone and, and he also helps children in the work that he does too. So, um, but it's admirable. I mean, he saw that opportunity. You saw that opportunity um, to break that, you know, cycle like you said, hundreds and hundreds of years. That's what happens is that generational trauma, generational abuse, generational whatever it is, it goes on and on. So you had that opportunity it's, and you took it. It's so interesting you said because I don't have kids either. And I consciously made that decision. I, I'm wavering on that decision a little bit right now. But I did, in my early 30s, I think it was, I was like, why, like... I don't want to bring kids into this shit, you know? So I don't know whether that was, now I'm sort of reflecting on that and thinking, <laughs> is that a cop-out of commitment and responsibility as well? So I'm still kind of figuring that out, but yeah. the opportunity hasn't come along. So I'm not really dwelling on it too much. Yeah. We'll see what happens, you know? Well, and I even have heard that from my youngest son and um, he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have kids. And he says, they're just too much. He goes, yeah, they're cute in the beginning, but they're just too much work. And <laughs> and he's been one of those that has caused, besides, you know, my daughter and her struggles, you know, with her mental health. I mean, he's, he's certainly had his time that he's been a bit of a pain to us. So he's yeah. seen that and he's like, I don't want to have kids now. I mean, he's 17, so... Who knows yeah. what'll happen? Hopefully, um, I feel like I feel like again. There's some that are that should have children, some that maybe clearly should not. <laughs> yeah. And I always say the choice is is yours. My joke to my friends, you know, whenever they challenge me about kids, I'm like, I have enough problem looking after myself. <laughs> right, you know? right. That's, that's a true enough in itself. It's keeping myself on track. You know, never mind another human being. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, what did you, you know, you did some traveling and things like that. Do you have any wisdom from your, you know, from your travels in, in your life or um, was that a, um, I'm going off script here, but uh, was that a way of escaping with your travels and whatnot? Or was it, um, you know, I just, there's another gentleman that I'm talking with today and he's done quite a bit of traveling. And I know we're going to talk about that of, you know, kind of, what he's learned at the different places that he's lived in and things like that. So yeah. that was just kind of in my mind. Yeah, sure. So I suppose to pick up on that a little bit, I had a, a big hobby of sailing, you know, sailing boats when I was young. And uh, I suppose I made the decision to turn that into a, turn that hobby into a career. And I did that quite successfully in between bouts of binge drinking, obviously. And uh, yeah, traveled all over the world for sure. And uh Worked with some amazing youth development programs in the Caribbean and also worked for the mega, mega rich, mega famous on their big yachts exploring all over. Not necessarily the cocktail party type boats, but more proper exploration yachts. We would have gone to Arctic, Greenland and all over Norway and that sort of thing, Australia, all around the South Pacific. So I traveled pretty much nonstop for over a decade. Mm. You know? And yeah, it, it's interesting you asked that question about was was that an escape or looking back now at the time I kind of thought it did a lot of people challenged me at the time you know what are you running away from and but I saw that as it was I have a very adventurous nature you know so there's a balance of things not a balance at all there's a there's a mix of things in there possibly yes a bit of escapism I think a lot of it was just fundamental adventure you know I love to travel. I love to see the world. However, it had a big part to play. There was a massive mistake that I made looking back. And I, I, as I said, I wouldn't change anything. I'm grateful for it all. But the mistake was 
I didn't have a base. I didn't have any sort of a base. I was living completely as a nomad, you know? So I would come home, I would stay with, with my mom for a while. I would rent an apartment here. I was earning enough money that I could literally go anywhere. I would shoot to the Canary Islands, rent an apartment. I would go to Florida, rent an apartment, see friends. So I never had a base for that whole time, you know? And my wisdom from that is that I believe as human beings and we need a base camp, you know, you need a really solid base camp, both emotionally and physically, you know? So I was missing both of those physically, especially, you know what? Uh, to have a base camp, I think, is really important to just come home and say, right, let's just, I'm settled here for a while. And then obviously have the emotional bit around that, whether it's a relationship. I didn't have either of those things. So because I was so nomadic, I didn't really develop a deep romantic relationship at any time. I had many romantic relationships that lasted a matter, matter of months. And then I would jet off and go to another job or whatever it would be, you know, so um but obviously, learn, seeing different cultures and different people and, you know, just the whole wisdom that is, that is gained from that is not always conscious wisdom, but it's definitely there, you know. And then, however, the other thing is that lifestyle. I mean, people have often told me who have similar habits, that is, that is like the Disneyland of having an alcohol problem because you're never, you don't have any commitments whatsoever. And you've got a huge amount of disposable income and you can go into town, roll into town, say in Miami or Fort Lauderdale, or wherever I would go, stay long enough to have a rip roar in time and shoot out of town again, you know? And that's what I did for a long, long time. And I would come home here and I would sort of, I would bum about for a bit and I would see friends and they would all be working. Obviously I would, play a bit of golf with them or do that. And then I would get bored and I would head off again, you know? So there's a, there's a big mix of stuff in there. I don't like, this is the thing that I think, I suppose the other thing that I've learned is I spent a lot of time trying to analyze every decision that I've made, you know? And I realized that in itself was quite destructive because, you know, we don't know all the answers. We can't actually teleport ourselves back to what we were feeling in an exact moment whenever we decided to end a relationship or move to another country or whatever that may be we can't do that so um for me a lot of it has been just acceptance just blatant acceptance this is where i am what am i going to do about it you know Mm -hmm. this is where i am now what am i going to do about it and yes of course we have to explore the past a bit we do for sure without a doubt Uh, but for me now i'm in a place where i can I can I can glance at the past and I can learn from it, but I certainly don't stare at it. You know, I really don't stare at it anymore. I spent years staring at the past, particularly around money, because I spent so much money that I could have invested in property. You know, peers of mine in, in a similar industry to me are owning four or five houses without mortgages. You know, that's the opportunity that I had at my feet financially and didn't take any of it. So I spent a lot of time beating myself with a stick around that. You know, why did I do that? Why did I make that mistake? Why? But as I say, now I can glance at the past and learn from it, but certainly not stare at it because mm-hmm. staring at it can in itself drive us back to the, the habit that we were trying to get away from, you know? Mm-hmm. So much wisdom in all of that. And I, uh, I love it. And I can, I relate to so much of it, just that. Um, that's why I think we have a great connection. I mean, I yeah. love, um, I wish, you know, you were closer. Or I was closer. I mean, I love to sail. Um, I'm not, oh, yeah. I don't, I can't be a captain, but I love to be yeah. on the water. Any travel yeah. that we've taken, um, if it's been, you know, I've been able to travel with my wellness business on incentive trips and any place we go, it's always finding the excursion that we can go on a catamaran or, you know, yeah. out sailing. My uncle who lived up in uh, the upper part of Michigan, when he was alive, he had a sailboat. And uh, so we, when we traveled there, uh, he'd take us out sailing, but then I was able to go on the um, Wednesday night, you know, like races, you know, for the town. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. And, um, you know, so much fun and, you know, just, we kind of have to stay out of the way. Right. And make sure you get on the right side of the sailboat Mm -hmm. at the right time and that type of thing. And, you know, there's a bit of, again, when you talk about adventure and sailing and being with those that have more and like, I have a friend 
that I met through my ballroom dance that um, she's off for, I don't know, three and a half, four months. They have a boat that's um, out of Miami. That's a four or five bedroom boat uh, yacht or whatever you want, whatever you call that. And so they, um, chose to, you know, they've done some day trips and things like that, but she said, I've never been gone for this long. So they'll be going to Puerto Rico and Bahamas and different things like that. And I was like, Oh, what a, I just would love to love to do that. And, um, you know, I love what you said about a base. I mean, that's so, there's so much wisdom there and profound. And, um, as we, talked right before, you know, I just, just lost my, my mother, my mother went to see the Lord just last week. And yeah, so sorry um, about that. Yeah. Thank you. And as I shared it, you know, and reflected on her life and really what she taught me, you know, one of the things that she taught me was to have faith. And again, this isn't a podcast about, again, my beliefs and, and all of that, but it has been truly that, you know, I found that during my deepest, darkest struggles, and certainly as I shared about even at the service about my daughter and when things when her health was in jeopardy, I cried out to the God that my mother taught me to believe in. And even though she, you know, raised us in the church and had to go to church every Sunday and wear a dress, and I didn't always follow that as I left home, that was a base that I was able to come back to in my deepest times of struggle. And that has served me well. And then that base and that faith became my own. That's what I shared it, that, that she showed me that, but she again, showed me that importance of that base, um, with my, you know, belief in, in Jesus Christ and, and that. So, um, and, but even just like you said, you didn't have a relationship. So there isn't that responsibility. You can come back in and do whatever you want to do. And then, Oh, goodbye. I don't have any accountability, responsibility type of thing. So that's really, that's good. That's some good stuff, some good wisdom. So, yeah. There. Can we talk about faith? That, that's a really good topic sure. you brought up because I haven't mentioned that yet. So yeah, there's a couple of things there for me. So I, um, in terms of faith, I, I remember I was on the bridge of a, of a large yacht in the middle of the Atlantic. And I remember look, stepping out onto the, the, into the open air, you know, and, uh, suppose anybody listening a bit like the a bit like the, the titanic where they're standing out in the open air you know looking for the icebergs except we were a lot further south it was quite warm you know but obviously in the middle of nowhere like and looking up in the start just clear clear skies and you know you can't you can literally can't see the black sky for stars you know mm-hmm. it's there's so many stars because there's no light pollution at all and uh just just really having that proper spiritual experience of like there's there's got to be more here. There's got to be more here. However, I will say that fueled a lot of my uh, binging then, you know, my destruction, because I would say, get to the other side of the Atlantic and I would be really confused about who am I? You know, we've got this, there's something more here, but what is it? And quite often I looked for it in the bottom of a glass, you know, and obviously didn't find it in the bottom of a glass. There's times whenever we're inebriated, I'm sure people will identify with this when they're under the influence, that it does feel spiritual. You think you're connected, but it's a fake kind of connection. But then I suppose going forward for me, like honestly, without getting into too much details, like I get it, I escaped so many scrapes, you know, because a lot of the time I was in places where I was on my own. And it's a horrendously dangerous thing to be doing, to be drinking to an unconscious level in big cities on your own with nobody to look after you, you know? So I woke up in places that, well, I woke up in hospitals, but I also woke up in places that I wouldn't, I don't even know how I got there. And people told me that, that woke me up that it's a, it's a miracle that your wallet's not stolen. Your phone, I didn't lose a phone. They're like, how are you alive in this area of the city? You know, anyway, so I realized then and I, and I often share this, you know, with other people, you know, in, in support networks or whatever, that I realized there was, a, there was something with a higher power was with me the whole time for some reason, whatever, you know, I didn't get it. I didn't, you know, get into any major trouble, i.e. I didn't kill myself, you know. And then you get people here, me and my friends, who obviously I, I drank with a lot in my younger days, you know a lot of those friends have moved on, you know, where I kind of, where, um, where I didn't, you know, but 
uh, I've reflected with a lot with them. You know, there's so many people that step out of a nightclub or get run over by a taxi or they trip and hit their head on a curbstone or they fall downstairs and that's it over. Whereas I look back and I feel, and I'm sure many people listening know this, you feel like a cat with nine lives if you get through all that, you know? And you sort of come to the realization there can't not be something looking after me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that's a lot of my faith. And, and then obviously the next step to that is using my faith and my higher power to stay on track is a massive part of things. Now, not that I have any way a craving at all. Uh, that's completely left me by the grace of God, I believe. You know, But still, the, the thing, the times when I need to be really careful, and I've learned this so many times over the years, the time when I need to be really, really careful is when I feel really good. You know, m- most of my destruction happened when I felt really good, you know? Mm. So I would think, oh, let's sell it. I just feel amazing. I feel on fire. This has gone so well. That's gone so well. Let's have a drink to celebrate, you know? And then I'd be like, again, the same cycle. What have I done? So that I know whenever I feel good, that also is a time where I, it's easy to let habit slip, whether that's a meditation habit or a prayer habit, whatever your faith is. But that's when I know I need to keep those practices going to stay yeah. on track. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good stuff. Um, yeah, I truly believe that. And again, I think I shared before we went live here is, um, and again, I, I mean, I'll start by saying, I mean, I was raised in the Baptist church, again, very, very conservative, Bible-believing, church every Sunday, those type of things. And as I started to be introduced later in my life to, you know, energy medicine and energy healing and Reiki and intuition and things like that, it really, I was really kind of standoffish, like, oh, that's because I could hear my mother's voice in my head, like, oh, that's the work (laughs) of the devil. And, you know, that's all that. (laughs) And yet a couple of years ago, as I shared with you, I mean, I, I met a couple of gals through various situations and one's an intuitive life coach. And one we met, I met in, in Denver, Colorado, when, um, my daughter wanted to go to this little Indian Tibetan import type of place and pick up some mala beads for yoga and meditation. And, um, we were introduced to this little Indian lady who owned the shop and she did like an astrological, you know, like reading of the charts, if you will. And so she did that with my daughter and it was so profound. I was like, like so spot on. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And um, so she did my reading and again, same thing, just such, I was just blown away, but she talked about my mother and she asked if she was alive and she said, well, just go be of service to her and be of service to her. And she just kept saying that. And I'm like, okay, she said, just, and then a month, not yet a month later, the same thing happened. I met this gal, we went to a salt room, a little meditation type of thing. And she was energy clearing. I didn't know what that meant. I was, but my girlfriend said, come. And I was like, Oh, it sounds good. Sounds fun. You know? Yeah. And, um, and same thing. She talked about my mother and that I should go visit my mother. And I truly believe whatever, whoever that came from again, and I, people can choose to believe, but I choose that that came from God or my angels or something, because what happened after that time for the next three years is I went to see my mom. She lived in the next town over, but her health started to decline pretty much from that day forward. And it kind of was declining. We hadn't just seen the severity of it. And I spent time with her and I, as she passed last week, I have peace that she's with the God that she taught me to believe in and that it ended well, like I, I learned to forgive her. I learned to put that stuff in the past. I like how you said, you know, I'm not staring at the past. I chose to not stare at that past and all of those all of that stuff that I can roll my eyes at and oh, come on, mom, you know, but it was wonderful intuition or whatever it was. But so I say that because there's so many times again in my life that 
there's a reason for me to be still around, or there's a reason that someone came into my life, or there's a reason that I thought of someone in that day. There's a reason why we collected connected on clubhouse today. I truly believe that because we have a wonderful, beautiful conversation here today that I know is serving me. I hope it's serving you. And I hope it's serving those that listen. Like you can't make that shit up, you know? (laughs) I mean, and so I have a story about that. If you want to hear it. Sure. So I believe, I 100% believe what you said, and I, I definitely believe there are people that have a direct conduit to whatever it is, spiritual, God, whatever you want to say. And I have a really tangible example, quite similar to yourself, but it was whenever I was making the decision to go to rehab or not, it was, a, it was around the same time as the conversation that I had with my sister. And I'd made the call to the place and I had a I had a kind of spiritual uh, woman that I had seen a couple of times, and for some I hadn't seen her for a good few months, but for some reason I felt the need to reach out to her in that particular moment. And I was in England; she was here in Ireland, so we booked a Zoom call pretty much within a day, and we got on the call. And now this woman, you know, she's no contact with my sister. There's no like, there's no host. She wouldn't even be interested in checking me out. Do you know what I mean? There's no way that she could. But anyway, we got on the call and she was visibly taken aback because she's one of, she's a lady who can sort of look at auras and that sort of thing. And she was visibly quite taken aback as soon as she saw me. You know, she could sense the pain, you know, a lot of it. And she said, do you know what her exact words to me were? Richard, I only need to say a few words to you here. And she said, go to the rehab. And that was it. And I was, I nearly fell off my chair. Wow. I said, what? How, how did you, she's like, I just, I just know you need to go to rehab. And I was like, I've just contacted, so she didn't, she didn't necessarily know that I'd contacted a rehab unit, but she just felt from my pain and from my aura that I needed to get to rehab. And I said, it's really interesting because that's why I'm, I'm here just to get guidance around should I or shouldn't I or, and then I told her that I'd already contacted a place. She said, yeah, that's go. So yeah. it's, it, it's, it is amazing. And, yeah. uh, you know, when we need to slow down enough in life sometimes to notice those, you know, notice those signs, if you will. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know that in my life, I was kind of, you know, jaded with that that thought from my mother, you know, that, oh, that's the devil worship and that type of thing. That's, you know, and there's certainly bad spirits and people that do, you know, I've seen 60 minutes episodes about psychics who are taking people's money and whatnot. And yet there are so many that, and so many signs and, and I've told the story a few times on the podcast, again, when I was really, when my daughter's health was really in jeopardy and the struggles were so, so rough. I mean, I started to hear people's, you know, I started to think about people like Joan or Lisa, you know, and I just decided to call them. I'll just give them a call. I don't know why, but I soon learned as I talked with them. And so similar to when Jen said, let's go to the salt cave. I soon learned that there was a reason for that. And there was someone else guiding that direction for me. And um, it's a beautiful thing when we choose to listen to that and so, follow. So you've hidden something really interesting there. And this is something where the dots really connected with me in my past. There was many, many times where I was given guidance in my head. You know, don't do this. Do that instead. Do the other. But yet so, so often we don't listen to it. So I suppose for me, if you could sum up recovery in one sentence, it's doing the things that that whisper in our head, you know, tells us to do that's better than the thing that we want to do. Mm. That's good. Because it's, it's so difficult to listen to that. So yeah, I'm really intrigued now, like, cause <laughs> it takes, it takes a lot of practice that doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does take a lot of practice. And yeah, it takes that. 
as many have asked me or said, oh, you're so strong. And I was like, you know, during the last couple of weeks, I'm like, if somebody else says I'm so strong, I think I'm going to slap them. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. it's, but it takes, you know, it takes practice and it takes just getting up one more time in the morning and spending time in my front room and, and praying and meditating and just listening to those things and journaling. It takes that practice. And yet what's wonderful is that as we, I've seen, as I've continued to practice that, there are more signs and more signs like today. This is a beautiful sign um, to me that I'll just continue to do what I'm doing, you know? And if it's only, only, you know, if it's a lot for me, that's, that's uh, wonderful. And yet I'll get a call from someone after they listened to a podcast and said, I want to tell you how much of an influence that has been, you know, a positive, you know, so the signs continue. And so that helps to con- helps me continue along. And I think Brilliant. many others too. And you know. isn't it true? It would be true to say, you know, it's, I suppose it is a bit of a cliche that we overcomplicate things. Like mm-hmm. we make it so complex, like any kind of program that I've ever done, they've always said, you know, it's a simple program for complicated people. Mm-hmm. So we we very often we underestimate the simple things like going for a 15 minute walk or, as you say, sitting down and journaling for a few minutes or meditating or praying or, you know, quite often we underestimate the power of the simple habits, you know, mm-hmm. and I suppose that's, that's really, if I could sum it up, I suppose that's, it's been, for me, it's been a collective of, of a lot of different habits and it's funny you mentioned about your belief in Jesus because I I would use that story as what it's like to, you know, stopping stopping the habit or whatever it may be for different people. But for me, you know, stopping the drinking, it was like the crucifixion at first. The pain of it was unbelievable, you know? Mm. And that pain lasts for a while. And there's obviously a lot of sacrifice in there, a huge amount of sacrifice. And you feel like you feel like you're grieving, you know, you're literally, I was grieving an old friend. I was grieving my best friend that had been with me since I was 14 years old, you know, and I escaped that best friend for a few months at a time, but I never was able to shake them off, you know? And so what, you know, over two years ago, that's that first three months, I suppose, was like the crucifixion, the pain of it. And then I suppose it got Somebody said to me, what you said, just have faith. You need to have faith. Trust, trust, trust. It's going to get better. And yeah, then slowly you move into the kind of promised land or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I don't actually have a craving anymore. I don't actually want to do that thing anymore. I don't see the benefit of it. But then it's obviously, like I said previously, you know, once you're in that place, knowing that not to be complacent, to keep mm-hmm. it on track, mm-hmm. if any of that makes sense. That's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, um, and I think of a gal that I spoke with a couple of weeks ago that I've met here in town and we went for coffee and um, she, she shared with me her story of sobriety. And she said when she, similar to this, when she decided to stop, she had to get rid of, and she talked about this a little earlier, she had to get rid of kind of so much in her life. Like she got a divorce she got a new job. I mean, she had to change so much because that's what her life revolved around. And it was that relationship, you know, with her husband and like, she had to, you know, she had to break all of those ties and start kind of start a new life if she was going to get rid of her drinking. And, um, and then there's another gal that I just interviewed and I put the episode out last Friday. Again, another divine intervention. I met her through uh, matchmaker.fm, which is a kind of a Tinder for podcasters. We can find oh, yeah. guests for our podcast and be a guest. And I reached out to her because I thought she was super cool. And she is. And um, yeah. somebody else from across the pond, she's from LA, but she lives in, she's in Germany now visiting with her folks during this pandemic. And she talked about how when she went through a divorce, she had this, it was basically a death to her, to herself in her life. And it was this grieving, but then she worked on giving herself permission to bloom again. And um, kind of like she was, in, you know, going into that promised land, you know, pr- opening the door to the promised land or giving yourself permission to bloom into a different life that, that you have the opportunity to be in. So yeah. 
it's all it's all super great, awesome things. And uh, as we're coming close to the end of our time, we were again, we didn't cover everything that we were going to talk about, but covered so much and such wisdom. And I love what you said, just those. Ha- and I want people to hear that those habits, those simple habits, if it's a 15 minute walk, if it's a little bit of journaling, if it's a little bit of reading, I mean, you've now have a club, if you will, where you share books that have been a value to you. Um, you interview people. Um, we'll talk at the end and I'll put in the show notes how we can find pe- find you on Facebook. But obviously reading and books, you're fine. You found a lot of inspiration from there too. Hugely. Yeah. Hugely. I read when I was in the unit, I read 17 books and both fiction and nonfiction. And I suppose for me, there's been two steps to it really the first type of book that I found myself reading was very much the spiritual type of book, you know, figuring out who am I, what's happened, how have I come to be here, you know, what's this all about? You know, that was kind of the first step, which is obviously that's always ongoing, you know, Mm -hmm. but more clear, I suppose, in the last few months, but particularly the last year, um, uh, when it was a year, so where I thought, right, okay, I'm not being complacent here, but I'm kind of ready to look at the future a bit as well uh, and think, okay, let's maybe set up a few goals and a bit more of a plan and see, you know, where are we going kind of thing. Um, so then I started reading more sort of personal development style books, which are more to the future, the likes of Think and Go Rich and uh, The Science of Getting Rich. And I'm a big fan of Bob Proctor, you know, all that kind of work, which is very much more goal focused than than de- dwelling on the past, you know. Um, but I also like how the, a lot of those books, they kind of straddle the personal development of goals with the spirituality as well. You know, so the book club really came about whenever people started challenging me, whenever I, you know, I bought a house here, I've got a steady job now and people sort of pointed out, they're like, this is miraculous. You know, it's a miraculous kind of turnaround in, uh, I suppose it's three years really since I went to the unit and because of lockdown, I was on in the house on my own and obviously have a passion for the books. And I thought, you know, there's two, I suppose there's two things that have really helped me. One is the books but also putting them into practice. But number two, more importantly, that is people, you know, so I thought I would bring the two together, sort of connect people with the books and then the kind of natural off off, um, spin to that, which has only happened really since Christmas is I'm now interviewing authors of powerful books. And that's been so, so interesting to connect with authors and hear their stories. And yeah, it's fascinating. It's been fascinating. It's a little project. Um, where it's going to really ask me, I do, you know, I have visions to build it and build the community and it's, that is going well. And we're having a great time. I do live readings. I'm on clubhouse. I do readings in clubhouse uh, and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I just share my insights about the books and, and yeah, that's it really in a nutshell. And it's a fun project. So, yeah. Well, I think it's great. And I say the same thing. Don't ask me where my podcast is going. I'm not really (laughs) sure, but I'm just following along and same type of thing, trying to create a community of people that have, similar interests and that we can support each other. And um, I think that's awesome. You know, reading a book is one thing, but being able to really get into the mind of, um, of that author and ask him questions and things like that, I think is really, it's got to be super, super cool too. Yeah. I'm just fascinated with people's lives. I suppose it isn't it a form of, it is a form of therapy, I suppose, listening and getting inspiration from other people's lives. You know, I, I love autobiographies, particularly people who've gone from adversity to, whatever success is for them, you know, I love those stories of points back, you know, so yeah. Do you have any, um, couple, couple favorites? I know you love Bob Proctor, but any, again, autobiographies that stick out that are some of your favorites? Funny enough, this is going to sound weird, but do you know one that I really connected with when I was in the unit was Phil Collins's autobiography. Oh, and that was really interesting. And I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of his struggles with alcohol. So that, that for me, just because I love Genesis music, I love the 80s kind of music. So it was just really interesting to hear the insights around, you know, in the air tonight and those songs, but also coupled with his alcohol problems, relationship problems and self-destruction really mm-hmm. was very, very good. And then I suppose people that I've interviewed, I interviewed a guy actually, it's more of a somebody over this side of the pond. His name is Ying Tan. And uh, he's a very successful, he's of uh, Chinese Malaysian descent, but he lives in London. He's brought up in London and he's a very successful business person there now. But his father, his father backpacked from Malaysia to the UK. 
in the would have been the 50s, 60s, I'm guessing. Um, when I so it took him like four months overland from Malaysia to the, with this vision, you know, talk about a vision for your future and just non just non-negotiable. I am getting to the UK, and he did. And now Ying has a his book is called Don't Push Too Many Trolleys. And I guess in American speak, that would be don't push too many carts. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a, he was a young lad working in a in like a, a supermarket car park, you know. And he was working in the parking lot, and he would go around and collect the carts. And uh, he figured out pretty soon that if you push too many carts, you end up crashing into cars. And he did that, and he got into a lot of trouble. So it's a metaphor for life of don't spin too many plates, you know. Mm-hmm. Keeping yeah. focused, keeping on track, keeping things simple. And he's got a multi-million pound business as a result of his kind of philosophies of that. So it's quite interesting. I interviewed him. And uh, yeah, that's two. two uh, wow. Thanks for Phil Collins. I mean, I love I love Genesis, Phil Collins. I mean, grew yeah. up with him. Uh, oh, one you enjoy the, that? Oh, yeah. And went to one of his concerts where I think my my ears were ringing for a couple of weeks after that because we were <laughs> right on the floor. I mean, it was an outstanding concert. Never forget that. So thanks for those. As with so many of my guests, I could continue to talk with you for quite some time, but uh, going to respect your time as well as um, the listeners and mine. But uh, thank you so much, Richard. Tell people where they can find you, because, you know, if they're interested in that uh, book club that you have going or just where they can find you. Yeah, so really, really simple. It's just the Success Book Club on either Instagram or uh, Facebook, and then just Richard Watson on LinkedIn or uh, Facebook itself, Facebook Personal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And then, it. you know, we can find you on Clubhouse as well. Of course. Um, yeah. You're there as well. So um, thank you for everything. I mean, thank you. It's just so much, so much great wisdom. And um, again, really appreciate your time and the connection. And can I just make one final point? I think yes. that. The, the really brief final point is that I'm so aware that I'm not finished. You know, the product is not finished. It's, you know, it's quite, you think, oh, two years sobriety. To me, it, it seems like five minutes and it's a cliche to say, but it's only today that counts, you know, and I'm very, very well aware that it's a long, long-term game, you know, so that's, I would encourage other people to perhaps think, think of the long-term game. It's never really finished. So yeah, I just wanted to finish that. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for that. I was going to say, what, what's your, what's your last words of wisdom that I always ask people that, and I'm um, so great. And, um, I know I'm going to listen to this episode a few times. Just really great, wonderful wisdom. And again, just grateful for our connection. Thank you for, thank you again. And thank you listeners. Continue to share these episodes with others. There are so many that need to hear everything that was in here. Um, I don't know. There's so much. I don't even know how to wrap it up. It's just like, again, we have the opportunity to live in our promised land, to make those steps forward. And like you said, it's really just today that that counts. So just make today great. Show love, have the faith, and um, and really our lives can be truly blessed. So thanks again, listeners, for coming back. We will talk with you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.